0: This is the NATO Sessions. I'm a comedian, NATO Green. Welcome to my podcast. If you want to see me do stand-up comedy, you can see me every Friday night at the Hemlock Tavern in San Francisco with The Business. Uh, my guest today is comedian Louis Katz. Louis was a bit ahead of me in the San Francisco comedy scene. I uh, looked up to him. It was like uh, exciting when I got to be on a show with him when I first started. Um, I got to watch him develop into a, a merciless stand-up uh force and uh and he was one of the first people to launch uh in my in my tenure from the San Francisco comedy scene onto becoming a national headliner. Um he uh, was a writer and correspondent for Totally Biased. So we're going to listen to a segment of him uh, doing some comedy on Totally Biased and then we'll go right into the interview. Um and you know, it's he's he's in a weird place because he was on a show and uh, and the show got canceled, and uh, he's a little bit trying to figure out what to do, and he he has these strange regrets uh, and is discovering that having worked really hard to make himself into a great stand-up uh, may not be enough. Um, and, you know, it's it's it was surprising to me that he felt that way because he was always somebody, and still is, somebody that I really look up to and respect, his work ethic and his craft. And, uh, you know, he looks at his... Um, class of comedians from San Francisco and wishes they w- had been more successful and I look at his class of comedians and think wow, what a bunch of great comedians and they all for the most part are still great comedians so uh, I don't know what the point is. I guess you never know Anyway, here's some stand-up and then a conversation with Louis Katz Thanks a lot Thank
1: you Thank you, very much. Thank, you. thank you This Saturday is Yom Kippur Known as the Day of Atonement, it's the holiest of Jewish holy days. Jews everywhere will be fasting and praying. I won't be. Uh, I'm a Jew, but I'm a new kind of Jew. Uh, I'm what's known as an orthodox, non-observant Jew. Uh, That means I don't do shit. (laughs) Not a damn thing. That's right, won't light a candle on a menorah, won't eat matzah on Passover, and the only mezuzah I'm kissing is a black girl I met on (laughs) OKCupid. In fact, while everyone's fasting on Saturday, I'll be at a golden corral chowing down on all-you-can-eat bacon-wrapped shrimp. (laughs) Then for dessert, I'm going to go home and eat honey-baked ham out of a shiksa's ass. (laughs) Why? Out of respect for the Jewish religion. (laughs) You see, a lot of Jews, they like to pick and choose their traditions. Yom Kippur is probably the only day of the year they'll set foot in a temple. One day a year, it's God. 364 days a year, it's goddamn this pulled pork is good. <laughs> you can't follow some traditions and not others. That's hypocritical. And if you really try to follow every Jewish tradition, you end up doing stuff like this. Aww. Yeah, looks like someone just got that rabbi back from the cleaners. <laughs> that's actually a Hasidic Jewish priest who wrapped himself in plastic because he's on a plane uh, that's flying over a cemetery. You know, because the impurities of the dead can rise up through the ground, travel 30,000 feet into the air, and go through the body of a plane, but it stopped dead in their tracks by less than a millimeter of plastic. (laughs) So the options are one, hypocrisy, or two, crazy. (laughs) But now there's another way, the orthodox, non-observant way. And we got our own set of commandments. <laughs> thou shalt eat whatever the hell thy wants, but thou shalt know that pastrami's true place is on rye bread, not a hero. <laughs> thou shalt argue for fun, and thou shalt use thy hands to make thy points. <laughs> thou shalt laugh extra hard at Larry David, and thou shalt jack off with extra fervor to Natalie Portman. <laughs> thou shalt know that what I'm doing right now is called a spiel, not a spiel. <laughs> Thou shalt remind people at every opportunity that Lou Reed, Scarlett Johansson, and Albert Einstein are Jewish, and that Gargamel isn't, (laughs) even though he looks like he is. Look, I'm a comedy writer living in New York City with this face. How much more Jewish can I get? I don't need to pray or go to synagogue to be Jewish. I feel Jewish enough when I wake up each and every morning smarter than all
0: you Gentiles. I'm Louis Katz. I got in the Writers Guild, so now I get screeners.
2: Yeah, oh man, that was like—it seems silly. Like I should have been more excited about the health insurance, but I was more excited about the screeners because you know I, I grew up in LA, and that was always—I heard people in the industry like got got free movies ahead of time, and like, oh man, it's been my dream since I was a kid to get those screeners, <laughs> and I'm so excited to have them now. I kind of because I I started so late, I got it
0: late into the award season last year, but uh, this year I should get the full award season. Right, and and also like it's fun to get to be like. You know? Oh, did you see this? Yeah, I, I got the screener. Yeah. You know, and yeah. then and they'd be like, "Oh, the screen." You know, I just I just the screen. I'm just not feeling award season this year. And and I <laughs> like I really like this. I got to vote on the Writers Guild Awards and the American Comedy Awards. Yeah. And I like I take my voting
2: responsibility very seriously. Oh man, I couldn't. <laughs> I, I just don't like. I was like, I was trying to, and then I'm like, all right. I know I recognize one of these names. I guess
0: that's who I'll vote for. You know, I did like
2: that horrible way.
0: Right, but also, like, I mean, did you get into, uh, you know, enough with breaking bad? <laughs> Stop it already. No, I wasn't about the backlash, not yet. <laughs> um, okay, so, Louis, this, uh, I, I, I want to talk to you uh, for a couple reasons. Uh, one of them is that, that uh, I have known you for a long time. Yes. Um, uh, as long as I've been a comic, not as long as you've been a comic, you're ahead of me, but um, that, like, I, we, I have this, there's a strange identification that I have with you that I've always, like, uh, when, I, when I was in New York, you're the, I was mistaken for you on the street once. Um, <laughs> That's funny. The, the, the booker for the punchline, like, thinks of us as, like, like a misshapen Sklar Brothers twins. Yeah, she said that to me. Um,
2: <laughs> I think, I I could see that. I think... I got, I mean, R. also, Alex Cole, various Jews have been, <laughs> have right. been pointed out as they, they could play that role opposite me. Uh,
0: so, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a Jew thing. So, but the other thing, and like, uh, uh, it's interesting to watch someone's, someone grow as a comic. Like, how, how long ago did you start? Uh, about 13 years ago. And would you say that you are a better comic now than you were 10 years ago? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm a better comic
2: this year than I was last year. <laughs> yeah. um,
0: so it's like one of the things that's interesting about seeing people come up is like seeing people sort of go through the trajectory of like going from being an opener to a headliner. And I've and like I part of the reason I became a, co- a comic in the first place was as a kid in San Francisco, like having a front row seat for seeing that with people like Margaret Cho and Arge Barker mm-hmm. and seeing them be like, I'm an opener, I'm trying to figure out is this what I do? Oh, this is what I do. Ta da. Yeah. Um and I feel like I got to see that with you. Oh, cool. And when I first saw you would have been some maybe two thousand three, two thousand four.
2: That's very early. That's just a couple years in. Yeah. When did
0: you start hosting at Cobbs? I mean Around
2: around then. Because I started so I started in oh one and then it took maybe a couple of years or maybe a year till I was Doing any kind of hosting, and first at SAC, in SAC, and then it, then uh, then here at the San Francisco Punchline, and then Cobbs actually took a little while, so it, that must have been. It might have been a little bit longer than that. might. Like, so when did you say two thousand three? It was. It
0: was. I I started two thousand five. So it was sometimes between two thousand three and two thousand five.
2: Yeah, that three or four sounds about right.
0: Um, and so and I remember you because, uh, like, you, you, were had this confidence. You had uh this material, and it, it was like it it triggered me like I felt horrible about myself watching you i'm,
2: I'm sorry <laughs> um,
0: sorry about that it, and it was like it was, and, and, and and so I, part of the reason I want to talk to you is is to try to see if I could figure out what like what it was that I was responding to why, why made you feel so horrible well i mean <laughs> I, you know my sense is that i think like my or my impression is that both of us are like Middle class, educated Jews who grew up in cities, and so yes, that is true. Like I and confirm that, <laughs> and had you know, and so the experience of like the inside outside experience. Uh, that I don't know what you mean. Like being, you know, well, I mean, I'll say this for me. Like I was a I was a product of a school desegregation program. You know, I was part of like a busing program. Really? Uh, yeah, in San Francisco, and so where they bus you to. They bust me to uh, like out to Portola, like out. That's like an outer mission. Yeah, it like is, past yeah. past the mission, past Silver Avenue. Okay. Um, and you know, like a like a inner city school where I was the only two. Wow. Uh, and and so like I you know I sort of have always had this experience of being like familiar with and comfortable around a huge diversity of different kinds of people, but always also a sense of, like, I'm not one of these people. Um,
2: yeah, I, I mean, I, I can kind of relate. I wasn't... Um, I went to public schools, and I went to public schools in Los Angeles, so that means, by default, that I was one of... Especially when it got to high school, one of, like, um, the minority of white kids at the school. But it wasn't like that, and there were certainly other Jewish kids that I went to school with and stuff like that, so I wasn't, like, the only Jewish kid there at all. And
0: And where do you... Where did you so?
2: Where did you go? Where did you go to? Where you grew up? Uh, I grew up in L.A. <clears throat> I went to Third Street Elementary School. I was the president of that elementary school. Probably the peak of my life. Uh huh. And then I went to Walter Reed Junior High and then North Hollywood High, it, which is in. They're both like in North Hollywood. Um. So yeah, I was in and in Reed and North Hollywood. I was in like a magnet programs or kind. I was not Reed. I wasn't really in North Hollywood. So they were kind of separate from the rest of the school. So, you know, you know, and, and unfortunately, just because of how it is, you'd think the magnet, because it's public school, would still be more diverse. But it's still mostly white and Asian, I guess, for some reason in, a, in L.A., unfortunately. Um, but then you'd have the wider schools, which at, in North Hollywood was mostly Latino. So it was largely Latino. And then you'd have... And I'd have other classes that were outside of the magnet where it'd be all kinds of kids. So I got the same experience where I was just like with a wide variety of kids growing up, and, and that's just what I'm used to. And even, even my elementary school, my elementary school is, I guess, a lot of Latino kids, some black kids, and a, a lot of uh, Korean kids. I think now it's like almost like 90% Korean, that elementary school, because the Koreatown in L.A. just kept growing and growing and growing. So.
0: But, I mean, that's a weird thing. Uh, to me, that's one of the weird things about L.A. is things that are like you know one city block in most cities are like 50 miles in L.A. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it just, it just doesn't stop. I mean, actually, what was the thing about my high school? I heard the year
2: after I graduated... There wasn't even like an English song at prom. I heard it was all Spanish. So I'm glad I heard some English songs at my in my prom
0: and it's more appropriate
2: and to my tastes. What did your parents do? Um uh, my, my dad is a lawyer. My mom um works for um a county supervisor,
0: chief deputy of a county supervisor in Los Angeles County. And that LA has a county, county supervisor and a city council, is that right?
2: Yes, it's uh, actually a guy who was a county city councilman for a while, and now then moved on to being a county supervisor, and is about to hit his term limit, and she's been, she, my parents met, my dad was doing my mom's current job, uh, bef- that's how they met, so this guy's career, his whole political career is basically my whole life, so it's about 35 years in politics or so, 36 maybe, and that's, that's how my, my folks got together, and yeah, that's how I meant.
0: And what your dad is? What kind of lawyer? I mean, Jew lawyer, but uh,
2: <laughs> he is a uh, he's in he does like real estate. So he does um, he used to do a lot of like lower income senior housing projects, and then he also does other kind of developments for. He used to do like nonprofit stuff, and then he does more does for profit stuff as well.
0: And did you have to like get dragged around as a kid to like the North Hollywood Democratic Club dinner and that kind of stuff?
2: No no, 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 no
0: no, no no, no, I mean, the only thing that's weird about it is
2: they um <clears throat> is how much they know about and talk about local politics, and you I know you follow politics and stuff like I'm now I feel I don't even know how they know about this I mean, like they vote for people based on personal experiences with these politicians, where for me, when I'm reading a ballot, I'm like, this is the first time I'm seeing this name, maybe I've seen a mailer. It's like weird how involved they are with local politics, although Los Angeles is a big city, so it's you know. It's not. I guess it's not that difficult, but that's they like really are on top of that kind of stuff, and I, I'm kind of embarrassed to say that I didn't. That it was strange growing up, and I did, I still don't understand how they did it. I don't I don't follow it like they do where they did.
0: I mean, on some at a certain point, it just becomes a game. It's, I mean, it's like you know, some people watch sports, some people watch local politics. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, yeah, true. It's just it's just always funny to me how they're like, like I saw this ca- certain councilman at this thing, and that's my room impression of them from like they they know they have personal interactions with them all so it's kind of interesting that they have something like that invested in it uh and then you went to berkeley yeah then i went to berkeley uh i studied uh with development studies what they call it so it was like political economy of developing nations not very funny uh not not good for stand-up and it was right before i graduated right before 9-11 so it's like all that stuff just changed right after i graduated.
0: so graduating right before nine eleven, my recollection of because uh, I'm slightly older than you, is that um, like there was sort of that was in the in the context of talking about development stuff that was sort of in the high point of like like the WTO protests and like free trade and yeah
2: the well the the big thing we were talking about then what happened while I was in school was it was like um, you would talk a lot about. Um, the Asian, the Asian tigers—they call them then, right? Those those small Asian countries that like came up, and then they had the crisis. While I was in sco- college, actually, the Asian flu. Yeah, yeah, was that what they call it? That's For what real? they called it. Yeah. yeah. So, and then that to me, that kind of just illusioned me from everything because I saw that it was like. There was, like, both the free market and the government-involved people. More, you know, it's free market versus government involvement, right? Usually. And then they both took credit for the rise, and they both blamed the other for the fall. And I'm like, oh, so so you can just make it up? Basically, basically <laughs> either one can be justified in either case. And that kind of, like, that kind of, uh, I felt a little... That, that's one major lesson I learned from that whole thing, I, I say. But, you know, I just feel like there was, like... I remember one book we read. It was like there's some guy's book called "Clash" the Clash of Civilizations, where his whole thing, thing. Yeah, yeah, there you go. And it's his whole thing. Boom! Was, but yeah, yeah, you're on Reaching top. Reach back. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, you know my professor kind of like just like poo pooed it. Like this is kind of backwards thinking. Like there's globalization. This isn't how it's gonna be. And basically, like nine eleven just flipped that. and It's like oh, I guess there is kind of. A clash of civilizations happening whereas she she kind of like dismissed it like showed all these ways that it was kind of bullshit Where can I say bullshit or something yeah, all right, yeah okay cool um, and that, so that was so yeah I just feel and, like it and, all changed and I
0: would also appreciate it if at some point in our conversation you gave a shout out to fisting because okay. that's a oh, 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 yeah. recurring motif for me okay. if
2: we're on that did that for the first time this year so it's, it's been a good year uh, sorry re- giving related. or receiving <laughs> <laughs> giving it's, it's a decent question oh. <laughs> giving it was exciting. It was really a lifelong goal, so it was exciting.
0: Buck, it was a bucket list item. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so and uh, and like, uh, do you feel like like what were you, what were you built for? Do you know what I mean? Like like if what would be what what would have been what was the path that life had laid for you, uh, growing up? Um.
2: Well, <clears throat> I guess i s- decided early on. My dad is good at like math and stuff like that, even though he's a lawyer. My mom is good at like. Reading and writing stuff more, and it was kind of discussed, shown to me early on that, I, or that you know that some pe- usually most people are either good at one or the other, math and science, or like reading and writing, and so I learned, I decided early on like oh I'm I like reading and writing more, so I was like oh forget fuck math and science, I'm just gonna focus on this, so I always liked that stuff. Uh, I was in a band, I'd really like music growing up, and both my parents also, I mean they're just the model for everything, so. They had majors, undergraduate majors that had nothing to do with what they ended up doing. So when I went to college, I was just like, I'm just gonna take cl- I'm just gonna major in whatever interests me. And I was all over the board like the first couple years, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. I used to say I wanted to be like a DJ on the radio because I loved music and I loved like being funny. So I figured that would be the perfect combination. I didn't know then that like you don't really get to choose the music you get to play and all that. So that was one thing i definitely thought i wanted to do and then and as far as my major goes i mean yeah those first couple of years i was taking like i took um uh, what's this one thing there's co- i took cognitive science and japanese history because i'm like i want to read about cyborgs and ninjas and you know i just it was like it was just dumb just whatever i thought was interesting
0: because japanese history filled with cyborgs
2: no the cognitive science is oh. cyborgs
0: uh and so you wanted neo Tokyo? You wanted, to, you you wanted to write a crossover where it's the cy- cyborgs versus ninjas? Yeah,
2: it was. Dude, that was really what I was like. I like cyborgs. I like ninjas and samurais. And, uh, and and I took, you know, I just took whatever class. I took a film class. And then I just, to me, it was um, because I maybe because I grew up in Los Angeles. And my parents are liberal, and you know, the the politician my mom worked for is a Democrat for sure. But for some reason, I still got. I guess the version of history and politics I got was. You know the general. I feel like people maybe here, here in the Bay Area like come up with really like the left-wing side of history, where they sh- they they see more of like the real story of what goes on at a global level. More, I, I would. is that if that makes sense? And to me, I wasn't really exposed to that till I went to college, where it was like, oh, most of the world is poor, <laughs> and very few of us are actually doing well. And this is, and that's the majority of the people. Or the majority of people are in these other countries that you barely learned about. So maybe it'd be worth some time learning about what's happening there. And that kind of, like, opened my mind. And so I just learned about all that stuff. It's kind of stuff that people, I think, in the Bay, like, you know what I mean? They kind of take for granted. You know, if it's just something I think that's taught from at an earlier age. So that's why I decided to major in that.
0: When, when I was a, a teenager, my dad started giving me essays by Mao Tse Tung to read. <laughs> yeah, that's man. what it is to grow up in San Francisco. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, that's a whole another, another, another level. And it's weird because my parents know all this stuff and they agree with it. They just never, never was never like introduced to me like that. Um, yeah, it wasn't certainly just not that far left. And then I, I mean, the, the truth is, I, I started doing in college. I joined a, an Asian sketch comedy group because that was the only one that they had. A <laughs> cow. And that's what expired. And uh, and I did. I had a sketch that was very wait called what. The sketch or the tr- group? The group. Theater Rice. Uh, uh, nice. Okay. Good. <laughs> <laughs> it was the only sketch comedy group, and uh, and I had a sketch that was very um, went that killed and was also somewhat controversial. By mistake, someone thought I wrote a different piece that was controversial, and they blamed it on me. And there's an article in the uh, in the local. Uh, they have a, there's like an, an Asian American paper at at, uh, at Cal, and they had an article called uh, "Fuck Louis Katz." No, it's funny. <laughs> it was, yeah. This guy the guy who wrote that's actually now like a pretty like famous
0: professor, actually.
2: So <laughs> I don't know if he would ever meet somewhere. It's kind of interesting that he He's kind of like a pretty big intellectual now.
0: I when I was in college, someone wrote an, an, an essay in the, in, the, in the college paper called "Fuck NATO Green and all of his friends." Really? Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, maybe that's what you feel. That's really crazy. That's really nuts, though. <laughs> it was a headline.
0: Uh, here's the the because I, when I was in college, here's what happened: was um, it was like in the. The, it was, the big debate was about like affirmative action and multiculturalism and stuff, mm-hmm. and ethnic studies, sort of all that was happening. And so I wrote this like satirical piece in the uh, in the student newspaper called The Modest Proposal. Uh, okay, so that's, that's a tip of the hat right there. Tip of the hat right there. Suggesting that one of the ways that we might uh, uh, increase the percentage of people of color in the student body was by killing white people. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and really and that none of, none of that just went over people who and were not... it, and that, well and then I proceeded to make suggestions about who I thought <laughs> oh okay all right uh, okay yeah that's that's probably that's a little bit problematic and uh, and and <laughs> <laughs> by name you named them well, you know uh, types or type, like straight some up? some types and some like you know hey you know white dreadlock baton girl okay uh, that's pretty specific you know like. <laughs> <laughs> So, and people took offense at that, and they got so many responses that, like, the next issue, the paper had to print a four-page insert of responses to NATO Green.
2: That's awesome. Uh, That stuff's great. It's like, it it freaked me out the way my my thing was also, like, it was like all these people were coming down on my side and the other side, and it's just like... It was like pretty intense getting that kind of scrutiny. Not only getting that big of a positive response the night it went out, but getting all that scrutiny when that article came out. It kind of freaked me out a little bit. It was like pretty. I'd never been hated on. I still to this day that's the most hate I've. I mean, even when I've been booed off stage, it's which has happened. Uh, it wasn't as bad as like these emails because they kept flowing. Because I was, it was basically these emails through this Asian sketch comedy crew. So I was on these lists and I would see all these emails. People, some people defending me, and some people like really didn't like me and it was it was really like f- but weird it was for a sketch that you hadn't written it was a sketch i wrote well w- yeah what happened was i wrote a sketch that was uh funny and very off color but in the way i the way i still do it you know like kind of like just raunchy sex stuff so it's nothing really racial although it was a uh, it was a uh, i did it like it was like a f- it was like a f- the fake story of a of like a martial arts guy And the cool thing was, so we did dubbed over voices. So he was the only character that was dubbed over. So it was like, I did his voice from the audience, and he would like kind of mouth the words on stage, you know, because it was like kind of like a dubbed over. And so his his voice is always dubbed, no one else's. It didn't matter. That wasn't what people got upset about. There was a sketch earlier that was not very creative. That was just like kind of using all these slurs for Asian people, but like... uh, but for other things, so they're like construction workers. They're like pretending they're construction workers. And he's like, I'm going to pour this gook into this chink now. Like, like, and it was like, oh, yeah. you know, like one of those where it's like, well, I, you're not really saying anything. You're just kind of getting away with saying these words. And what's the point? It's just like wordplay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so they thought that I had written that. I was like the only white guy. and They thought I wrote that one.
0: And then someone got mad about that. Wait a minute! And what the fuck? The other people in the group were like, "Yeah, fuck that guy." Well, the, the, who was the person who wrote it? Who the person put who wrote it was someone else.
2: The, the, some, so then, some guy. So then, some guy afterwards, who thought it, that I had written that sketch, came up to me and was kind of like getting in my face and like wanted to fight me, you know. Um, and I was like, "What's going on?" People, people there did defend me and they stopped him from fighting me. But then, what happened was, the guy who wrote ended up writing the "Fuck Louis Katz" article. He left in the middle of that sketch, and my sketch was after that. And he just assumed that I'd written that and that I'd written the whole thing. And then he wrote that "fuck Louis Katz" thing, defending that guy, kind of trying to fight me and saying how offensive it was. And he didn't. He so he didn't even watch the sketch that I wrote at all, and just assumed I had
0: written the other one. And uh, the person who wrote the "fuck Louis Katz" article, uh, white? Not white. Asian. Yeah. And. Uh, and so, how did uh, how did the thing end? I
2: like stupidly like should have taken the high ground and pointed it out. I should have taken the high ground. One thing I learned was, and instead I wrote like. What's his name? His name was like Hua Sen or something like that. I wrote, so I wrote back a letter that was like, fuck Hua Sen and his mother. <laughs> and it, was, it, was like, it was like a mistake because I was totally in the right. So if I just wanted to if I just wanted to be like, hey, man, you didn't even watch my thing. That's really bad journalism. This is offensive. That you Like I was totally in the right. And Dude. then I just lost all my right points by titling a, a letter in, that, you, in you, that you,
0: you were trolling the trolls before Twitter existed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. I mean, it's just a mistake. I mean, that was another lesson that I learned from it was was that it's just like... You just, if you play the good, it's your, your case is, is better when, you, when you're the good guy, you know? When you just remain the good guy, you know? Right. Okay, so... Uh, hey, well, by the way, Shang Wang, another comedian, uh, he saw that sketch and that's what got him into comedy. And he joined that theater troupe the next year.
0: Hey. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for bringing us Shang
2: Wang. You're welcome. Because we love him. Also brought Brent Weinbach into comedy. Both of them because of me. That's true. They both, yeah. That's, I'm, 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 the cause of both of that. So,
0: uh, good work. Thank you. Um, the, the, in part, the upshot of what I wrote was uh, resulted in like the creation of a tenure track position in pre-Columbian American history. Whoa, cool. <laughs> so. Wait, wait, wait. wait. You, someone got that job, or that yeah. job was created? That position was created like there was such a <laughs> shitstorm in the college that my little p- articles were a part of not the whole thing uh that that it like you know was one of the it was sort of to me one of the great lessons that I learned um about social change is that if you create a crisis the system has to respond that's interesting um, that's that's real interesting and <laughs> uh and that like about how you know about the effectiveness of humor as a way of like Sort of exploding a debate uh, yeah. beyond what you know I mean I, I said, you know having as someone who is both a comedian and activist, like one of the things that's nice about being a comedian when I'm wearing my comedian hat is that you don't have to be responsible about your point of view um, that's, that's actually what I was going to say, and that was that was another lesson I learned from the whole thing was like
2: one other example of like I guess some people call it white privilege, but um' like. Their whole thing was like some of the letters that these kids are writing back and forth that were in this sketch group were like, you know, they have to think about how they're representing the Asian community and stuff like that. And like, I'm just like, I'm just representing funny. You know what I mean? It's not like I'm speaking for all white people or all Jewish people when I say anything. And so why put myself in a group where they feel like they have to do that? Like it's
0: I'm I'm losing all my I'm losing my white powers. Why would I want to do that? (laughs) Uh, And then and then and then did the group have like. Any? Did they do any kind of thing where they were like, you know, this is, the, this is the Jim Carrey in this version of In Living Color? Like, this is our white guy here? They maybe brought me on stage. I mean, there's
2: definitely a reason that they knew that a white guy was involved in the group or something. But it was like, this is like... I, apparently, I heard that for years after this group talked about this as like a thing because it was such a like, you know, a big deal. And, you know, it's like, I mean, someone even criticized the fact, and I think it's kind of true. It's like a... Um, you know, UC Berkeley is 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 like probably most probably them was mostly Asian. So if and I'm not saying it's just easy to be Asian and Asians just don't feel discrimination here, but it's you know I think they look for more controversy and issues than there really were to deal with in a place where they are straight up the majority at least in that situation. So it was like their big thing, like this was the big controversy. This was a time when there was like a real issue with with identity and and stuff like that. When it was really not, there's really just isn't that much.
0: They're all in Berkeley, and it's they're the majority of the student body there, so it's just not right. There's a certain category. There's a, there is a type of thing that a person gets upset about when they're 21. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's a. Good and then it's it. you know like like I could, now that I'm older like I meet younger activists who are like really getting all wound up about things and I'm like oh yeah I remember when I was upset about that <laughs> and I'm like pace yourself you yeah, know yeah, it's yeah. a long road ahead. I think about that which like um like
2: bands and music like I can't I remember it used to like infuriate me that I, horrible music was popular and now I'm just like yeah it is I don't <laughs> I don't listen to it and like who cares like I don't know you know it just bothered me I don't know why oh right how you you know like when you're you were like
0: ah, why do people like dickleback or whatever yeah yeah, yeah. You
2: know? all that stuff and now i'm just like i guess they like it i don't know it's not, well, it's not, <laughs> it doesn't involve me <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly
0: uh so and then what was the what was the move from that into stand-up so i mean i remember
2: the night i did the sketch Not when the guy tried to fight me and all that but the night when it really went over it just killed and I just was lying in my bed. I just I still felt so great, and I was like, "This is what I'm doing for the rest of my life. I'm doing something with this." So I went. I spent then my, spent my junior year abroad in Brazil, and I just was like, "I'm gonna do something." And I was like trying to write different things, and I realized as much as like everything that everyone says makes stand up so hard, also makes it easier, be, in that it's easier to get off the ground. It's like it's not a script. There's no other people, there's no characters. It's just me saying funny things. And I knew that regardless of what it was, it was, like my, my, my main influence growing up was sketch stuff and not stand-up, really. But then I felt that stand-up was the easiest way to get started, because it was just me and a microphone and being funny. So then I got back, I had a semester left of school, and right at the last month of that semester, I started doing open mics. I did open mic on campus. That was the first one I did, and then I just started doing open mics uh, around the city. I just back then it was in the in the SF Weekly. You'd look in the back, you'd see where all the mics were, and then uh, I took a travel a little bit, and then I came back and I just started like I'm like this is what I'm doing. And oh, I remember it was like I was gonna, I was flying to LA. I I ended up being on a flight with. Oh, now I'm gonna forget his name. Now I forget his actual name. Hang him, Mr. Cooper. Um, Oh, Curry. Yeah, Mark Curry. Mark Curry ended up being on my flight. And I was just asked him, I said, like, hey, I'm a comedian, I'm starting out. I was thinking I should move to L.A. I'm graduating would I stay up here. Do you think I should move to L.A. or should I stay here? And he's like, stay in San Francisco. And that's that's literally why I decided to stay in the Bay. And I stayed living in Berkeley. And yeah, and I just did mics. And I mean, it was like, it was weird to me. It was just like, no question. I guess also because, like, like I said, it came up in music. And, you know, in kind of like a DIY kind of, band kind of thing, so I just applied stand-up to that, like, all right, I'm just gonna do this now, you know, and just kind of did all that, and then I was just, it was really just just didn't even look back until, I'd say the only times I've, like, looked back or thought about even anything like a plan B was just recently, now that I've gotten older, (laughs) and I'm like, oh, this is a struggle, but, like, really it was, like, blindly just this is what I'm gonna do, I graduated, this is what I'm doing.
0: And, uh, what is, like, I mean, and I think this is partly what I, I, to some extent, I was reacting to is that, is all those many years ago, is that you come across as one of the least neurotic Jews I've ever met.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, that's not that's a that's, that's false. <laughs> uh, like
0: like you you have some of the like external signifiers like the glasses or whatever, <laughs> but you also project an incredible amount of confidence.
2: Thank you. Yeah, I do. Uh, other people have said that I don't. Um I don't know what that's about. It's like I, I I wish there's some kind of quote about. It was Dunham had a quote about Jews being like, it's kind of that inside-outside thing. It's like having this like huge confidence and then huge um, self-doubt, like at the same time, which actually I think is a common Jewish thing. And somehow I have I have both. I'm I'm very I'm definitely neurotic and stuff like that, but I just uh, I'm also very optimistic, and I also like, I mean I have times where I'm just super doubting myself, but I don't know. I just get I get like to be real. I I like to try and be the best that I can be. I don't know how to how to put it. (laughs) Uh,
0: I I I think like my version of what you just said is that I simultaneously think that like I tend to think that I'm the smartest person in any room, Uh but also that I'm not somehow fit to be around other humans. (laughs) Yeah,
2: it might it might be. I mean, it's hard to describe. Well, one thing is I'm very I'm like the way I put it. Also, with is and it's like the neurotic thing. I think also with that sound and you said. The neurotic like, signifiers like glass and stuff like that. So I kind of have been, I look nerdy. I'm a short, nerdy guy. But I've also always, for some reason, I've always had pretty good social skills. I've always been pretty popular. So even though I look like this, I just, I'm good with people somehow. You've been
0: tearing up that ass.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and then I've been tearing up a good amount of ass. And so, yeah, I've just uh, the confidence also comes with, like I'm, I'm, I know how to handle myself around people, which also I think translates onto the stage, I guess, somehow. I don't know, it's like, or it's also like, uh did you ever read Mark Marin's first book? It's like, it's also, I think it has something to do with like Jewish grandmas who just, they think every, every kid they, you know, all their grandkids are the Messiah, <laughs> you know what I mean? They just, they just like, uh, you know, just blow up your ego forever, you know? Right, right. And I still believe what my grandma
0: believed, Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, I, I had, uh, I had some of those, some of mm-hmm. those grandmas. Um, the, the, one of the other things that's so striking about you and has been like, as long as, I have known you is that you have a p- incredible work ethic. Thank you. Uh, I'll try <laughs> like, I mean, and I was uh, uh, when when we started talking about getting together, I I went and watched your County Central Presents again, and uh, like I am struck by the sort of the I- like efficiency of your comedy. Oh, thanks. You know that like there's it's sort of like there's no. It's like like you, and I, we've had these conversations where like, I remember once we were hanging out in Portland and you said, like you were talking about why you didn't like Musical Comedy X because you feel like it's one joke over three minutes a lot. Yeah,
2: yeah. And that like, <laughs> you're like, you know
0: me, I'm just all about like getting, you know, jokes per minute. Um, yeah, yeah. And it was like there was no, there was no sort of, Place where there could be more jokes where there wasn't more jokes.
2: Oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, that's actually, I think almost, I don't know what, I mean, I see this as a positive and a negative. Like, part of that is coming from Cal. So, I'm writing essays, right? So, I'm writing everything out when I graduate. I'm writing everything out word for word. And I think you asked me about this before. I'm like counting syllables to make it as tight as possible. And also, there's a rhythmic thing with syllables that makes things funnier.
0: I, I saw it in the thing where you were like, you know, there was like, a, there's a, in the County Central Presents, there's a, there's a, where you said that like tracking the the syllables from in the uh, gets a b- a pop in the in the punchline yeah and there's a Frodo hobo joke yeah with that I was like oh that's what he was talking yeah about.
2: yeah 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 I can always I can I do it in my own act but the one I always remember is the um um David Tell joke where he goes even the fat kid wearing the Babylon Babylon Five T-shirt got a hand job so he goes even the dot dot wearing the dot dot into the dot dot You know what I mean? And I'm telling you, it's that rhythm. It has something to do with it. But what's weird that I've noticed lately with all that stuff, so on the negative side of that, I feel like a lot of my stuff sounds, it sounds written. It doesn't sound maybe as natural as it could sound. Maybe that's a bad thing. Maybe it's not. You know, everyone's critical of their own thing. So my strength is also a weakness. And another thing that's come up is that, so now I'm, as a, the last few years, I've learned how to like write more on stage. I guess you come with an idea and then kind of like work out the wording on stage because that's going to be more naturalistic anyway than writing out a full sentence. But what I'm trying to do now is that it's almost like what I've and this is just within the last couple of years that I've noticed this. It's like my level of skill has made me a more lazy comedian in a way because I can come up with something and work start working it on stage and get it to a pretty good level now what i'm going to try and start doing now is then go back and use what i used to do and sit down with it and then tighten it up and think of more different ways i can stretch it or change that punchline. So what i'm trying to do now is kind of apply the way i used to do things to the way i'm doing it now so it so
0: it's not i get i get the best of both worlds. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I mean and i i also feel like i also feel like part of it is is, uh, you know, also become like part of it is, uh, I mean, one of the things I've been thinking about, about a lot cause I'm, because I'm a comic and I'm still here mm-hmm. is that now I'm older than a lot of the people that I'm on shows with. Yeah. And, you know, and I find myself a lot of times being like, man, what are you kids so upset about? Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so there's sort of like the, the kinds of things that you're writing about when you're pushing 40 as opposed to, yeah. you know, when you're 25. Yeah. And, and I feel like, uh, for, you know, that having, that sp- spending, that it's like growing up on stage and learning how to be on stage and be a comic and building up the craft, that there's a point where, like, you start, you know, as an older person, start thinking about di- a different set of questions. Yeah. And being able to apply that level of craft to those questions it bec- yeah. is really exciting. It, yeah, it is. I mean, my, it is. I just wish that, I wish I had, like... <laughs>
2: sounds funny like stronger opinions thing i'm really good at seeing both sides of everything so it's like kind of hard for me to have these strong opinions on certain things i'm always like well this or that i think people like kurt metzger is a comedian out of new york and that guy like he has an opinion of something and right or wrong he's like sure of it and it's like a funny angle and i'm always like well i could kind of you know and that's not
0: good for (laughs) it. i was at the punchline recently i went to the bathroom Mm -hmm. and near the bathroom there is a picture of you uh, uh, the the, the, the dandion uh, yeah. Purple Onion New yeah. Wave picture You're in that too aren't you? I'm not in that picture No you're not? Okay uh, That was That was taken right before I started Oh okay um, And w- uh, What do you Do you have any like Thoughts looking back on that That picture Or that Whatever that moment was Now
2: Yeah man My thought is I should have been in Chicago instead Because all those guys are huge And we're all struggling man <laughs> That's what I think. I thought I thought my class coming up. I was so proud. I thought I thought there was a whole generation of comics that I came up with, which would include Brent Weinbach, Moshe Kasher, Shang Wang, Jasper Red, Ryan Stout, Chris Tinkle, um, the Those There's other people. I'm, there's probably other people I'm forgetting about. So excuse me if I forgot about you just now. Um, but uh, and I was just like, oh man, this is like. Unheard of and except, oh, it is heard of in Chicago, and all those people have shows and much more success. Kevin Shea was another one. Um, but no, I mean, what I what what kind of the only thing I think about my early time in those times was just like how uh, the timing with social media, I kind of regret the, the age that we're it's like I get it, I know how to use it all, but if man, if I'd like. If I'd, come up, if I'd grown up with social media, I think I would have really knocked it out, <laughs> and you know, because it would just come natural to me. I probably would also have a lot of things that are super embarrassing. Like, I tried to make a porno when I was in college, too, and I'm glad I didn't. And I didn't because the technology wasn't possible. You know, now I probably just would have done that.
0: I would have filmed some horrible shit. That's a really interesting response because, the, I mean, for a couple of reasons. One, like, you know, there was... Uh, Like Kamau came before you, yeah, and the, like he talks about his class, you know, that the class of San Francisco comics who came in like after the Holy City Zoo closed, mm-hmm. but before you guys, yeah, we're like, you know, he feels like we're sort of a lost generation and have real a lot of them the people who like who came into comedy thinking like at the you know thinking that the boom was continuing Mm -hmm. and thinking that like that's
2: all post boom i mean
0: right but you know the people who like people who came in and were came in you know early enough that they like saw you know Patton and greg barrett and brian possein leave town Mm -hmm. and they were like oh this is how it works you you do well at the punchline and then hollywood comes and gets you and then spent 10 years sitting in the back of the punchline being like how about now how about now? I mean... And then, and then you guys come along with doing, you know, particularly Brent and Moshe, yeah. doing self-produced shows and shit, and, you know, and lapping them. Uh,
2: well, it was... When I, my theory, actually, with that, I should ask him about this. It was also... There was a few things. One was there was an age difference, which I thought was really odd. So when I started, the people that were older than me that had been there a while, I've only been doing it, you know, two, three years longer than me, but they were all, like, late 20s, early 30s. Whereas I'm 21, and so was Jasper, and so was Brent, and so was Shane. You know what I mean? So we're in our early 20s. So that was odd. My theory was actually that it was a bunch of people who had uh, jobs in that first dot-com boom and then lost their jobs, decided to be stand-ups. And then for some other reason, there's a few things. Also, I mean, every Sunday at these Sunday Punchline Showcases, people would do the same 10 minutes, which just, bl- that still blows my mind. I mean, also, I write, I write almost too much new stuff. People criticize me for writing too much stuff, and for a reason. I'm always, I just what I get off on. But it's like, I just couldn't understand why you do the same 10 minutes every week and what you'd get out of that. Plus, back then, there was a whole separate Oakland scene, and no one was doing both. I was the only one who would go back and forth and do both. So there was just, it just seemed like the people that came in just weren't, I just, to, the, to me, these things came natural. Like, where's, I'm going to get all the stage time I can get, in front of whatever audience I can get in front of, that just seemed, oh, stage time's how you get better? Well, I'm going to do that. Now, I don't know why other people weren't doing that. <laughs> um, and, yeah, there's just a different, a different attitude, a different energy to it, I guess, for some reason. So, yeah, I mean, I was proud of all that, but, man, I just wish we'd, uh, I'm glad we inspired out. I wish we'd uh, may all make more money now. You know, maybe the other thing that might have hurt us was maybe we got, um, maybe we got picked up a little too early. Could have been another problem like Jasper and I went to Montreal in 2005. So and he started a little bit after me, maybe a year after me. So I was four years into stand up, he was three and change. That's kind of crazy now. I mean that doesn't and and you know what it is, it's all pre new boom. So when we started it wasn't as popular. I mean I don't even know if I would if I would have stood out or popped as much now as I was able to then and get a little bit of traction. Because there's so many people doing stand-up now. I mean, like I like to think I would. I think I'm pretty funny, but I don't know, man. There's so many funny people. There's so many people. It's so much more of a popular thing since 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 I started. You know, well, maybe, maybe you should take
0: credit for it. Um, <laughs> the uh, uh, well, like you know, when 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 you were at Tully Bias, did you have encounter like Chris Rock coming through and sort of throwing out like? like these like idea grenades like he would walk come through the office and just like assert something crazy and then leave like and then leave people to debate it Um.
2: I actually missed a lot of that because uh he was busy shooting a movie that whole season that I did so I saw him only a few times and it wasn't this whole issue of him coming in and like making the whole office crazy all the time he was he was there rarely I did see him like yell at a few people but it was never directed at me so the whole time it was just like, "There's Chris Rock. He's yelling at someone." This is—I mean, it feels bad because he was yelling at a friend of mine, and you know, and, and kind of hurting their feelings. But it was still like, "Man, he's totally yelling at somebody." This is great.
0: Uh, with, when I was there, he would like—he was—he would sort of expound periodically, not even about the show, just like he would just come in and announce stuff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes it was interesting, and sometimes it was like. Say what now? Um, <laughs> and so, w- so one of his theories, one of the, one of his, like, you know, there's no like Kurt Metzger. There's no there's no equivocal declaration from Chris Rock, and one of his declarations is, uh, was that <laughs> except for Steve Martin, no great comedians have come from California because it's too easy to live here, and that and that and, the, and, <laughs> and, and, and that and that comedians. Need to be in sort of hostile terrain <laughs> to flourish. Uh,
2: that's interesting,
0: and that that's that may you know because of like the shitty weather and stuff that may be part of why like Chicago uh, had some you know might have some fertility. That's why I was thinking about it.
2: Well, my I think Chicago because I, to me what Chicago is is that is there's a there's a strong the improv is the bigger thing there. So that's also there's competing against that, and they're probably I'm sure everyone. If I was in that city, I'm sure I would have taken more improv classes. I would have take- I took like one here. I was like, this is for like, like bored housewives and people who want to like improve their business speech. And I was like, I'm not doing this. Whereas there, it's like a tradition. You know what I mean? It's like the improv there is a real like, real thing. Not that it isn't here, but I just didn't take to it. And then the other thing I think. No, is No, it's that not it, a real
0: thing here. You can. Say, it's not. Uh, it's no. not that big a thing. It's not right. It's no. Not just, no, no. It's, I mean, I, it's it's uh this will get me in trouble with some of my friends who are like really into it as a hobby but it's a irritating thing
2: yeah it's not it's not I mean certainly it's not Chicago's a, is invented improv I mean there's no there's no other improv town except for Chicago so it's certainly not on the level of Chicago and I think it's proximity to um, New York and the Midwest one thing I learned from touring is that like it's crazy like I always think oh you gotta move to New York and you know get all the stage time or something or move to la and do all that but man if you're like once you get in those clubs in in the midwest those it's so dense with cities it is crazy like just between chicago ohio minneapolis and then indiana like in between those states you're talking about you know like maybe 10 cities that are all within a few hours of driving so right there if they were working those clubs that also made them better i mean a lot of it's luck man i mean you know, and just when things work out for you. I mean, we could all maybe next year all those Chicago dudes will like, you know, tank, and it'll be the year of the uh, of the SF guys. But I think it's not likely. They're all really funny. <laughs> I, I, uh, they might run out of ideas. Maybe, probably not. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm still I'm still happy with the pool that, that I came up with, and and people are doing things, you know. Uh, cool. Well, thanks a lot, Louis. Thanks, Ben.
0: And that was Louie Katz on the NATO sessions. Uh, The NATO Sessions has been produced by Dan Wolf, edited by Steve Bissinger, theme music by DJ Real. You can follow me on Twitter, at NATO Green. Subscribe, rate, review us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, and we'll see you next time. Thanks a lot.